Let's begin then. And before we do so, let us all take a moment to pay homage to the Magnificent One, the Unvanquished and the Undefeated One, our Teacher, our Master and our Guide. As we make this gesture of reverence, let us also remind ourselves that this is a reminder and it serves as a reminder for us, reminding us why we are here, our purpose, our ambition, to free ourselves from suffering once and for all, to walk on the path that our Master proclaimed and laid down for us, and to achieve our salvation as we do so. So with that in mind, let us all bring our palms together in veneration of the supremely enlightened Lord Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Nothing is ever easy, is it? Was that a yes? Especially if you're doing something for the first time. Nothing is ever easy. As some of you may know, lately we've been working on setting up a, a new school. So we're building it up from scratch. But I don't believe a school like this has ever been done before. There's no blueprint. There's no rule book to follow. Just a hunch. A clear conscience. A good teacher. But not a teacher who's done a school before. Just teacher just a teacher who has who knows how to tame tame minds and this experience is teaching me anicca <laughs> in this lab of life <clears throat> because manifestations are all products of causes. You can't just wish for things. They don't happen that way, although that would have been nice. If there were a genie, one you could go, and go up to and ask, I have a wish and I've been good. 
can you give it to me? If there were a genie that would have said, your wish is my command. But unfortunately there isn't. And a large portion of our school setting it up, working out the procedures, the principles, not that principle, the principles. The setup, the organization, the policies, all that. A large portion of that is handled by our Anagarika community. Monks are involved, of course. We lay down, we guide, advise, instruct, but the actual legwork is done by the Anagarika community. Most of those faces you see there, the Ilashavika community. Although they look, although they look their usual cheerful selves, some of them might not have slept for three days. Because nothing is ever easy. And there's a lesson to be taken from that. This is not me complaining. It's not meant to be easy. That is the nature of anicca. Especially if you don't know what the causes are that have to line up. So it is not your will, not your wish. It's not your whim that comes alive. You have to go looking for the causes and line them up in the right order. And you can't just bang them all up together and expect magic to happen, doesn't work like that. The right causes have to come together in the right manner. And as I think of that, <clears throat> excuse me, as I think of that, I think of all the things we've done so far. You know, just the fact that you're all here is no easy task. Right from building this place, to laying out the chairs, laying out this room, ensuring that the lights come on when you lick the switch, ensuring that water comes out of the tap when you turn it. None of this is easy, and I'm sure you'll know this. You can relate to this as parents, householders, especially when you have to do something the right way, it's not easy. <laughs> if you just want to cobble something together, then, you know, and you don't care about the consequences, easier. But when you have to do it the right way, and you have to be able to live with a guilt-free conscience, then you really have to go the extra mile to ensure that nobody is disadvantaged, Nobody feels that way. Everyone gets the best of 
opportunities. So none of it is easy. That sounds like a complaint, right? Sound like I'm moaning? No, the lesson to take from here is Anicca. How do you build Rome? You've heard the saying, it wasn't built in a day. So how do you build a school? How do you build a rehabilitation center? You think that's going to be easy? Because there's no rule book. Yes, there are rule books, rehabilitation centers, but not the kind we are going to be doing. Because you can't inflict physical punishment on anyone. No sticks. Only love, care and affection. You can't use a strong cane. You can use a strong word once in a while, provided that it is inspired by compassion and kindness. But nothing more. Because we need to have a guilt-free conscience at the end of the day. And our Nibbana, we don't sacrifice that for anything. So, just the fact that you're here, the fact that you had somewhere to park your car when you got in this morning. The fact that you were able to walk on the, on the roads that were paved from the entrance up to here and they were swept. Every Friday, our Silas Ravikas do that. Ensure that when our devotees come in the morning, the whole place is prim and proper. It looks neat, looks tidy, so that it leaves a, a pleasant impression on the hearts and minds that come seeking salvation. Nothing is ever easy. You should, you, sh- you should see them once in a while. You know, because it's nowadays, because it's wet, rainy, there's not a lot of dust, but when it's dry out there, and all you have is the the acre broom, and you have to sweep this road, the whole place is goes up in a cloud of dust. And sometimes I see them wearing masks and clad in white, and they'll sweep right from the top to bottom. Prepare the Dharma Hall. Every Friday, the whole place gets mopped. All the chairs get taken out, cleaned. You know, just like when you welcome visitors at your home, especially guests that you care deeply about. You know, if you didn't worry about, if you didn't concern yourself about them, you know, then you don't care what sort of treatment you give them, but when you care about who's coming. Just imagine if the to-be groom for your daughter is coming with his parents, how might you prepare your home for for such an event? Hmm? You probably whitewash the walls, wash the floors, 
right? Clean the whole place, turn it upside down, and then turn it right side up again. Because you care. You care about the impression that you make. Because you want the best for them. So that is what happens. All this. It's easy to think that, you know, yeah, it looks nice, doesn't it? Just concern yourselves about, just think about the time it takes to say that this is nice or to appreciate, appreciate its beauty versus the time it takes to actually create it. Doesn't that look nice? Yeah, it looks nice. How long did it take you to do that, to say that? It looks nice. But I don't know how long it took to arrange that. How long it took for someone to place those flowers in that order and then, or in some order, and then think to themselves, mm, no, that doesn't look very nice, let me rearrange that. And then to decide the angle at which they were going to place them. And whether they were going to be tilted or whether they were going to be flat and which side on the table it was going to supposed to go, because you have to consider the fact that there's a whiteboard here, and if you place too many obstructions, you know, you're not going to be able to see the board. So someone probably put all of this here, they went and looked in the camera, just to make sure they can still see everything that's going on, and then they came back here, rearranged the whole thing, and then when they went back again. Just setting up a microphone, do you know how long it takes? Because this is not easy. None of this is easy. Sometimes they'll set things up. I know, like some, our IT team, our media team, right? they sometimes they'll work on this from now because they're getting used to it. It's getting a little bit easier, but if you don't have prior experience, you know, there's the thing, like in this asana, We only conduct one interview. And that interview is, do you want Nibba? <laughs> Whereas in an organization, if you want to hire someone to do a job, you conduct extensive interviews. Right? What experience do you have? Now imagine we needed someone for our IT team. How are we, where are we going to find people to do that? You go and try one of our monks, try one of our anagarikas. Maybe try one of our Sila Stravakas or Stravikas. But you can't expect them to, have, to come from that sort of background. Maybe all their life they've been a farmer. Maybe they've been a teacher, but haven't done anything related to IT. And then what we do is we get them down and we ask them to maybe go and find out how to do that, read a book, get some instruction from someone, go ask someone who might know, and then try and piece it together and see what happens. Fortunately, there's Guru Hamdra who always tells us, if you, provided you do whatever you do with the best of intentions, if the whole place burns down, don't worry about it. He always tells us that. By saying that he appeases our fears, in case anyone is 
fearful or worried that someone might something might go wrong. You know, like especially when you're trying to do something new, right? You're worried. What if it all goes wrong? What if it all goes south? Especially if so many people people's lives depend on it. If the whole event depends on it. If the whole organization depends on it. If there are so many people who expect things to work and then you don't get it right, then what happens? Will they all point their finger at me? So for as long as that me lives inside, there's always that fear. What if something goes wrong? That is why sometimes you feel worried. Especially when you're trying to do something you've not done before. That fear. But when you have someone at the helm of this, and they assure you, don't worry, if, if you drop it, I'm here to catch it. If you fall, I'm here to catch you, don't you worry. Just go and do it. Like, just do it. And they put a little tick, just do it. Hmm? You, you can relax. And as long as you know, you know you're doing it for the right reasons, as long as you have compassion and loving-kindness in your heart, then if the whole place falls down, if there's someone who's happy and willing to accept responsibility for that, you just got to go and do it. One of the toughest things in this world is taking responsibility. Especially if you have ignorance and attachment in your mind. Taking responsibilities is one of the most difficult things in this world. That's why, remember when you had your first child? Fathers, mothers in the room, remember having your first child? You didn't just know that you had become a mother or a father, but something else you felt the burden of all of a sudden. It was not there until then. You, you, you felt some weight on your shoulders. That is the weight of responsibility. Because now if something goes wrong, if something bad happens, if something terrible happens, if your child falls ill, if they fall into the wrong crowd, the wrong group, if they misbehave, if they do something terrible, then who has to account for it? You. That responsibility lay on your shoulders. It's, a, it's not a physical thing, obviously, but it weighs just the same. It doesn't look like a ton of bricks, but it feels the same, doesn't it? Responsibility. At the workplace, you feel responsibility. If you were driving a vehicle, say you're driving a van or even a car, and there are other people in it, especially. Now I've seen this sometimes with Anagarik Mahathas when they drive us up and down. And it's, and it's late. <laughs> because they're not only responsible now for getting us there on time, but for getting us there in one piece. And to add to that, 
It's not their car. <laughs> Have you ever driven someone else's car? Ever had that feeling? When you drive someone else's car? It's like, you know, you don't mess with other people's car, just like you don't mess with other people's wife. You don't mess. These two things you don't mess with. Another man's car and another man's wife. My father taught me that. Keep your distance. Always play safe. So I've seen the Anagari Kamatas, you know, when they have to drive us here and there. Especially when they're new. Because they have, you know, I mean, they're still worried. They're, they're very concerned. They don't feel like they're, they're still part of the sasana. They feel like they have come to the sasana, but they don't feel they're one and one with the sasana. So they feel that if, if in case, you know, they, they have an accident, however minor it might be, then what might, what might, they, what might happen? Like what, what might someone tell them? Someone might tell them off. It's natural that people feel that, although it has never happened. You know, we keep reminding them, don't worry, if something happens, it happens. But, you know, when you feel that responsibility, it's, you know, saying is one thing, but doing is another. So I think you know what this feels like. This responsibility, taking responsibility, taking responsibility for a family, taking responsibility at the workplace. Hmm? Taking responsibility for students, if you're a teacher. Just imagine that. You've been given a class, now we're starting the school, and on the third term of the year. First, second terms, gone. We're starting the third term, and we have to prepare our students for when they'll have their exams, maybe beginning of next year. Now imagine what the teachers must feel like. Responsibility. So it's never easy. But here's what we do know. We are assured, one, in the fact that even if things go wrong, as long as we do it with the right intentions, you needn't worry. But that is what we tell us, tell ourselves to make our minds up. But secondly, what we do know is Anything is possible. Anything is possible. I'll ask you the question, can I turn this into this? What do you think? No? Can? Absolutely. Why? Anything is possible because of anicca. All you've got to do is find the right causes and you can do anything. So nothing is impossible. Quite literally, nothing is impossible. You just need to find the right causes. Things seem impossible when you don't know the causes. That's when things seem impossible. This is a good lesson for life. There will be times where you are expected to do things, sometimes others might expect it of you, or you might set those expectations on yourselves. Let's say, you know, you've got an exam you have to prepare for. And the exam is what, in three weeks' time, a month's time. And you haven't had the time to prepare yourselves. 
as much as you would have liked, but you have a very short period of time and in that time you have to get yourself ready. Impossible? Possible. You just need to find the way to do it. You know, this is why we as human beings, we are blessed with the gift of, of intellect. We are, we are gifted with the, or we are blessed with the gift of intelligence. We are gifted, we are blessed with the gift of thought. We can think. What is this thinking? You talk about thinking, you know, think about I'll have a think about it. I'll have a think about how it can be done. What do we mean by this? Let's go find the causes. Let's go explore what the causes are that can make something happen. What quantities, in what order, in what arrangement is the required manifestation going to become available? And then we go arrange them in that order. That is something that we can do as human beings. In fact, any sentient being, provided they have the power of thought, they have the power of intellect, they have the intelligence, they can do it. Devas, Brahmas, human beings, you know, they can all do it. But once you are below that threshold, once you are below that, and you are in the woeful states, then it becomes impossible. Because now, you are a victim of your circumstances. Don't you ever end up feeling, don't ever tell yourself that you are a victim of your circumstances. It is a disgrace. On one, yourself, and two, the teaching, the teaching of the Buddha. I am a victim of my circumstances. Look at what's happened to me. See? See. Hmm? You shrug your shoulders and say, see. Or you stoop your shoulders even further and say, see, what can I do? Circumstances. Look at what destiny did to me. I'm destiny's child. You don't have to be like that. That's why, you know, I always remind our listeners, if you're a good Buddhist, there's no reason to beg, borrow or steal. We don't need to beg, we don't need to borrow, and we don't need to steal, because we know cause and effect. We know the principle of cause and effect. We know that all causes are a manifestation of effects. So all we've got to do is go find what those causes are, and then make it happen. The moment you see that all effects are a product of causes, fear goes away. Just think about it. Think about the last time you had to do something and you felt that you were never going to be able to accomplish it. Just think about it. Maybe you got a call, right? And a party of, say, 10, 15 people. They gave you a call and said, Oh, are you home today? Yes. Well, we were just passing by and we thought we'd stop at your place. And it's a... 11 o'clock. Hmm? We're passing by and you just thought we'll stop. And you have, you have, you don't have any plans for lunch. I mean, you're just going to be taking leftovers from the morning. But now, 
they say, so are you home? Yeah, yeah, and, and, no, yeah, and, mm, mm. Well, if it's not too much of a bother, we'd like to stop by, just say hello. Yeah, yeah, just say hello. Well, you can say hello on the phone. <laughs> just pass the phone around to all 15 people, I'll say hello to them. Why do you have to stop by to say hello? But you know what they mean is something else. Because to them, you know, it's just a thought. Just like these flowers. Pretty, aren't they? Yeah, pretty. <laughs> Looks very nice. Because some smart guy in that group remembered that they know you. <laughs> no one else in the group knows this, but some smart guy in that group remember they know you. And then they were wondering, they were discussing amongst themselves, what shall we do for lunch today? So they were weighing up a few options, and then this smart guy thought, ah, I know Mr. Zumanasegar. Let me just give him a call. He's, he's not far from here, just, just in a half and, uh, one and a half kilometers. Let's just give him a call. So that's how you ended up getting that call. So then he says, you know, I just have a few friends. Just a few friends. Few. Few. Two or three friends. That's what they say. Two or three friends. Just you know, two or three friends. They're coming with me. Oh, that they, that they tell you just before they put the phone down, right? I just thought I'll come by. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to bring two or three friends with me. They're a group of 15, by the way. Two or three friends. Have you, I've never been on the receiving end of this. Just stop by and, and, you know, please don't trouble yourself too much. And please don't trouble yourself too much, they'll tell you. And they come at 11. <laughs> and they say, don't trouble yourself too much. But you know we are known for our hospitality. If someone comes, announced or unannounced, we can't just turn them around and say, uh, especially if it's lunchtime, you can't just say, would you like a glass of water? But you bring the glass of water as a gesture. Yeah? Now those wondering, watching us on TV might wonder what am I talking about. So in Sri Lankan culture we have this gesture. Right? Before we serve lunch, we bring a glass of water, which is a way of inviting them for lunch. So if you have guests at home, if you ever have the chance of visiting Sri Lanka and they bring, because it happened to me. All these things happened to me. Why do they happen to me? I remember when I, when I got here, because right? I'd spent quite a bit of my life outside of Sri Lanka. And then when we got here, and it was lunchtime, I, and I, I remember it was at a funeral. So that's how you invite someone. So someone brought us water. And then I was thinking, no, I'm going to eat now, so I don't want the water. I don't want to fill myself up with water. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to be eating now. So they brought the water and said, no, no, thank you. And then I was asking my, my, my folks, why, why are they bringing water? No, that is our culture. Shut up, I'll go home and explain. <laughs> don't embarrass us. <laughs> how, how are we supposed to know these things? You're like, it's like when I first met a monk. When I first met a monk, I was in Oman. I was, such a, I was a young boy, six or so. That was the first time I'd seen a man in a robe. So when you see a man for the first time, what do you do? Tell me. 
you do what we're supposed to do, what you do with any other man. You go up to them, extend your right hand, and do what? Say good morning. And that's what I did. This was a Burmese monk. Very kind man. I soon got to know that he was very kind. Others he would have treated me differently. So I walked up to this monk. I was very enthusiastic because, you know, that was the first time they had brought a monk to Oman. So I extended my arm and said, good morning. And he said, sit, sit. I said, how rude. <laughs> he won't even shake my hand. And again on that day, Apache was there. He said, just sit down, I'll go home and explain. Don't embarrass us. <laughs> Why do they all happen to me? <laughs> So yeah, so these friends, then they just, you know, turn up and you're expecting, you know, one friend, one, you know, one person, your friend with two or three other friends, so you're expecting a small car. Yeah? So you keep looking out for the car. Where is it? Are you here yet? So you give them a call. Are you here yet? Yeah, we're just turning around the corner. I can't see you. You can see a big Leyland bus. I can't see you. <laughs> We're just there, what, tw 20 yards from where you are. No, I think you're covered by the bus, perhaps. No, we are the bus. <laughs> what? <laughs> How do you feel in that moment? Put on the spot, nervous, Not, don't know what to do now. Right. It's like all, 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 the, all life that you had in you has just escaped you for some reason and your knees start to tremble, you don't know what to do because now you have to entertain a whole troop. It's not just a couple of friends. But they don't realize that. It's like these flowers. Oh, very nice. They don't realize the effort that has to go into entertaining them, receiving them, the hospitality feeding them. They don't realize that. So then they get off and they start coming in. They come in one by one, hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> they come in pairs. Right? And then they come in, ah, Mr. Samarasekar, how are you doing? We just thought we'd stop by. Don't trouble yourself over lunch or anything. It's all right. We didn't come here expecting that. Now did we? They start talking amongst themselves. Some of them, they go straight into the kitchen. What do you have for lunch? Anything? <laughs> They've made themselves at home. You know the feeling. That's what I'm saying. Nothing is ever easy. Especially if you're trying to do good, if you're trying to do right by people, if you're trying to give them the best you can, nothing is ever easy. Because, you know, it's not enough for us to just do something. Whenever we do something, we always have to do it to the, to the fullest of our ability. Because we have to, you know, we have to have a, a good conscience. Otherwise the pillow feels very uncomfortable. It feels hard and it feels rough. You need a good conscience, a guilt-free conscience. You need to know that you've done all you can. And that is the service that we do.
whenever you get a chance to do something, you do the best you can. Go all the way. Someone was asking me yesterday, so we had this meeting of all our teachers who are going to be teaching in the school. And then on the way back, someone asked me, so I'm asked, how do I prepare myself for this, for this task, this mammoth of a task? How do I, because I'm supposed to be teaching these subjects and so on. And they're all graduates, you know, they, so they, they, they're all qualified to teach, but they've not done any teaching for a long time, if at all. So they're asking, how do, we, how do I prepare myself? All I had to say was this. I said, do the best you can, and then some. Do the best you can, and then a little bit more. Because if you do the best you can, that is how good you will always be. If you do the best you can, that is how good you will always be, the best you can. But if you do your best and then some, that is what's going to get you to grow. That is what will help you expand, broaden your horizons, take you one step further, develop yourself, improve yourself, take you another stretch, another mile. So, if ever you are required by your family, your friends, by your society, by your workplace, by your country, by the human race, by the Sambodhisattvasana, to do something, what must you do? Do it to the best of your ability and, and then some. So it's a good philosophy to have for life. Always do the best you can and then some. And that then some is like the cherry on the cake. I mean, you can eat a cake without a cherry, can't you? Can't you? Yes. But what makes that cake worth the while? And you look at a cake, right, the whole cake, maybe it's two kilos, this cake, but there's this tiny cherry on top. What catches your attention? Huh? The cherry. What about the cake that took, what, maybe six hours to bake and make? But that one cherry, you just had to pluck it on the tree and put it there. What catches your eye? The cherry. That is the densa. The cake is the best you can do, but the cherry is the densa. That is what people appreciate. They look at the cherry and go, nice, lovely cake. Take the cherry away. Oh, you baked the cake then, huh? You baked the cake then, can I have some? Put a cherry on top of it. You baked the cake, can I take some with me? That's the difference. So nothing is ever easy, especially if you're doing the right thing. Sometimes, you know, one way we know we're doing the right thing is it's not easy. Because if you're doing the wrong thing, it's very easy. It's very easy to not care. It's very easy to not concern yourself. It's very easy not to have another person's best interest in mind. If all you have to think about is yourself, if your world is so small, if your heart is so, so small, that only you can fit in it. And that is what having a big heart is. How many, how many can fit into it? 
How much room do you have in there so that as many can fit into it? If, you, if your heart is so small that only you can fit into it, in other words, you only think about yourself and you care not about what happens to others, then life is easy. It's easy now, but it will be difficult later. Right now it feels very easy. When you wake up in the morning, they say, you know, now after we start the school, our teachers, right, there'll be some among you, Srila Shavika Mahatmya, Sravaka Mahatmyas, and so on. Right, when we start the school, then there will be days in the mornings, like right, maybe you have, you're not feeling too well. Perhaps you have a splitting headache. But you know you have a lesson to cover. Now, previously, Let's take an Anagarika Mahatmya, for instance. You know, every morning they come from the Anagarika Rame on the train. You've seen the Anagarika train? It gets longer and longer. It's a long train, the white train. So they come from the White House in the white train and they get off at this junction. So you know, until now, they, they come here because they, they have to serve themselves. They come here because they have to get instruction from their teachers, listen to the sermons, practice the path. They come here for themselves. But once you start the school, you can't come here for yourselves. If you don't feel too well, you still have to make the trek. Because you have a responsibility. Perhaps you have a class of 20 children, 15 children, 30 children. And they expect you to come and take the lesson. See? Now your heart has to grow in size and accommodate all of them in there. So when you make a decision, just like when you, when you became parents, you couldn't then any longer make decisions based, on, based purely on what was right for you, what was good for you, what felt good for you, what you thought was nice. You couldn't make your decisions based on that. Because now they have to do the best they can and then some. But anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. Anything is possible because all things are by their very nature, nature. Meaning, what again? The only reason something seems impossible. It is not impossible actually. That's why they say nothing is impossible. But things seem impossible. Things seem impossible because we can't, we haven't yet worked out what are the causes that have to be brought together in the right order in order to manifest the desired output? So, the distance between you and the desired outcome is what? Just lining up the causes. See, now you have nothing to worry about. Because it's not impossible. It's not, it is not improbable. You just have to line up the causes. I, I want you all to, you know, the reason I'm sharing this story with you this morning is I want you to start to think about all your problems in that way, whatever problems you might have in life. Let's say, you know, you're, you're stuck in traffic. Okay, you're stuck in traffic and you need to get to some place for an interview, maybe an appointment, a doctor's appointment, whatever. In those times, if you don't reflect on the situation, through the light of Dhamma, through the lens of Dhamma rather. And if you, don't, if you don't remind yourself that this is just a problem 
and anicca is all I need. The fact that this is anicca makes this problem solvable. If you don't think about it in those terms, you see a fixed problem. You see a fixed problem. That fixed problem bothers you. Let's say if your children, if your child doesn't, you know, they're not studious. They don't, they don't study properly. Right? You see that as a fixed problem. My child doesn't study. My child doesn't study. That's a fixed problem. But if you look at it through Anicca, you realize that there are certain causes that are in play right now which have not inspired this child to study. That's all it is. So change the causes, change the result. Then you see any problem as a process that can be solved. So get yourselves in that mindset. Look at any problem as a process. We are just where the inputs are. Further down the line, we go into the processing part and then we come out the output where the problem is solved. Look at all problems in that way. Say you have a speech to do in a couple of days, right? And you still haven't, you haven't even prepared a script, right? But you have a speech to do. You can look at it as one problem, as a fixed thing, as a unit, or you can look at it as a process. This, the reason that I'm here in this situation is because of causes. Once I change the causes, this, this will take a completely different form and a different output will be, will be made available. That is all it is. Convince yourself that that is all it is. The reason that it is not what I want it to be right now is because the causes haven't lined up. Then you don't see a single problem. You don't see a unitary problem. All you see is causes and effect. You know, people often ask me, so we study, we learn about cause and effect, how do we apply this into life? These are the situations in which you have to apply them. Apply them. Any problem that you come across, you know, it's not just material things. Oftentimes here, you know, we do the sermons, I talk about, take material things as examples. I look, I, I show you this and I ask you, is this a fixed thing or is this a, a manifestation? But, you know, it doesn't have to be a material thing for it to be a manifestation. It is not just material things that are manifestations. Everything is a manifestation. If you find yourselves in a problem, just realize that it's a manifestation. You have to be at work by 9 a.m. and it takes you an hour to get to work. You left yourself enough time to get to your car, but then you realize you've got a flat tire. Now you see a problem. Don't you see a problem? A problem? one problem, a fixed problem, and then you start getting all flustered and worried. Then you start, you, you start imagining all the things that will happen as a result of this. If I get late to work, then my boss is going to be upset with me. I'm not going to be able to do the report on time. I'm not going to be able to submit that thing. I, then I'm going to be late. Then there are going to be penalties. You start thinking about all those things. How many times have you realized in those in situations like this, that you worried too much. Never been there. That when you when you when you imagine the terrible outcome that that you that you that you that can you can uh, think of, but you actually start solving the problem one piece at a time, and then you realize it wasn't so bad at all. And sometimes you will even say, you know, that happens for the best. 
You can you say that after after you know after the event, don't you? Sometimes when things look like they they're just not working out for you, right? And you look and you it feels like you're just going to go for a, a terrible day. At the end of the day, you turn back and say, "Ah, oh, everything happens for the best." You say that to make your mind up because now you realize I worried about nothing. See, now at the end of the day, the problem's been solved, but you suffered. Mentally, throughout that day, you had suffered. Why? You had suffered. You suffered because you saw one problem, a fixed problem, a unitary problem. In those moments, ladies and gentlemen, you know, give yourself some peace. Peace out. Give yourself that peace of mind and look at it as a series of cause and effects. At least, you know, get the advantage of that now that you've gotten yourselves into a problem at least right take it make use of it as an opportunity to practice anicca otherwise you've been in a problem you've solved the problem all right but you've wasted an opportunity to practice anicca if you look at that problem and just see causes and effects now you don't you don't get worried about it you don't get stressed about it like how many problems do you think come to me on a on a daily basis you might think, oh, what problems does Swami Nansi have? All he has to do is have the dhani that we offer him and then go and do his meditation. <laughs> huh? Maybe come and do a sermon once in a while. That's all he has to do. I've told you, try swapping these seats once in a while and see if you understand. <laughs> 450 people, they come here every day. 120 or odd of them are monks who are resident here. Then we have the Anagarika Mahathas, about 50 or 70 of them. Then we have your Anagarika Mahathas who come here every day. Right? About 85 of them now. Then we have the Sila Sravika Sravikas. I don't know how many they are. <laughs> I've, I've, I've stopped keeping count. <laughs> They're just grow, growing like mushrooms. <laughs> Every day there's someone new. And then they have the Sila Uesi program as well, this new program. Because Guru Handro doesn't feel like he's been punished enough. He seems to want to be like, uh, what's that name? Nigantanatha Putta. Who believe that to attain salvation, you have to pay for all your misdoings. In Sansara, so he, he seems to subscribe to both the Buddha and, and Nigatanatha Buddha. Wishing to be punished for all his sins. I mean, you know, the next day he'll start some other program. Right now he's just, you know, an infant in his mind, I'm sure. In two weeks' time he'll come and say, I have, I have an idea. No, not again. And then we have these little noble hearts, you know, some of them who are still wet in, the, wet in their pants. And still do. You know, then the 18 minus program of our young Anagarikas. Right? We have to feed them. We have to ensure that there is enough water for everyone. Wash, clean, drink, all that. 
It's not just stuff you put in here. You have to ensure that the stuff that comes out of you is, you know, treated and put out in the right way. You can't just go and dump it here and there. Right? Because everyone comes with the body. If they only came with the mind, then no problem. But everyone comes with the body. Each and every one of them. So they have to be clothed. They have to be kept warm when it's cold outside. They have to be kept be kept cool when it's warm outside and warm when it's cold outside. So how many problems do you think come to that kuti on a daily basis? Some days, all I do is, <laughs> from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to bed, sit down with people who come to see me and discuss with them how we can solve some of these problems. That's all I've done throughout the day. I'll stop for to take my arms when I come down. But other than that, the, the entire day goes by that way. Again, I'm not moaning. This is not me complaining. I'm saying, whenever problems come to me, I take a cause and effect approach. Because the problem has already come. Now I can't shy away from it. I can't, I can't wish it away. You can't wish problems away. They're not dirty dishes. You can't just wish them away. You have to do something with it. Wishes don't wash dishes, right? You have to wash them. So in the same way, you can't you can't wish problems away. You have to solve them. But so that is what I do, and I enjoy solving problems. I do enjoy solving problems because I don't get stressed in front of a problem. I don't get flustered. I don't lose my cool in front of a problem. Because when I see a problem, I see there's a missing part here. That's all I see. There's a missing part. Right now I may not know what that part is. See, let me give you a problem to solve. Don't you see a problem? I just see a missing part. I may not know exactly what that part is, because this might be a problem that I've not seen before. Maybe I have not, I've not encountered it before. So now the job is to go looking for the answer. We go exploring. Maybe, the, maybe this is in a book somewhere. Because I believe that most problems in life have been encountered before. So we just need to go and find the right people. Find the books. Find someone who knows the answer. And sometimes, you know, people will have part of the answer. One guy will have this. Another guy will have this. On the face of it, it looks like 13. All I have to do is bring them together. And then put it there. Now I have the answer. Half the time, that is what I do. I just bring half-cooked answers together. 
As I said, one guy has this, the other guy has this. On the face of it, it looks like unrelated, not part of the solution. But bring them together, voila, magic. Amazing. That's why it's not just the causes, but you have to line them up properly. What if I did that instead? And maybe did this. That's not going to solve that problem. It might be the answer to another problem, but won't solve this problem. For this problem, they have to come together in this order. Not this way, this way. So it's not just the causes. You have to line them up in the right order. It's not enough for just the causes to come together. So when we go about solving problems, that is what we do. Right? Now you know this at home, if you're cooking and the gas runs out, what do you do? Do you just run around? No, oh, gas runs out, gas runs out, gas runs out. Is that, is that going to solve the problem? But did you not used to solve problems in that way? You know, you used to get angry about problems, didn't you? I said, I use, I'll use the word used to. Hmm? No, so no, no offense to anybody, right? You used to get angry about problems. That's how much you know about us, Swaminas? Is that, is that what you're thinking? No, I hope not. Used to get angry about problems. How, how is getting angry going to help you solve a problem? Tell me. Anger experts in the room. Been there, done that. If you're an anger expert, how did getting angry help you solve a problem? This is the problem to solve, right? You just need, you just need to find someone who has one of these and one of these. Okay, that's all you need to solve this problem. Now tell me, how does getting angry help you solve this problem? How does, how does that help you solve the problem? I'm watching you, <laughs> wherever you are. <laughs> I've got Dibba Chakku. <laughs> I've got the divine eye and the divine ear. Huh? Wherever you are, whatever you do and whatever you say, I can hear you. That's how I know. Look at you. How is that going to solve the problem? <laughs> how is that going to solve the problem? How is kicking the dog going to solve the problem? Hmm? How is throwing this on the floor going to solve the problem? How is it going to solve the problem? You tell me, no, of course it's not going to solve the problem, so I'm in answer. Then I have to ask you, before you got married and you moved into that house, or you were in that house but before you got married, you had more cutlery than you do now. What happened? Where are all the sources that were there before you, before your wife came? Huh? Where are all those pots and pans? What, you started recycling? What happened to all that? So why, why, why did you take that approach to try and solve problems? Because you didn't, you, I'll tell you why. You looked at the problem as a unit. That's why. Whenever you, the mind sees a unitary problem, you don't see solutions. 
You just get bothered about it. Just look at it. I mean, this might sound like a, you know, where is this sermon going today? He's not even talking about to us about anicca. He's not talking about the sensual world, nothing about it. He's just talking about problems, problems, problems. How is this related? I'm telling you, this is a very practical approach to life. There's no point in just us talking about theory every day if we don't take the time to apply it into practical problems. I spend my life that way. You know, sometimes the only time I think about the Dhamma is when Guru Hanru does a sermon for us or I come here and deliver a sermon. I, I, I think about new points of Dhamma. The rest of the time I'm just applying what I already know. That's what I do. Because it's only when the teacher is here that I get to hear new concepts, new Dhamma points. So when my teacher is teaching to me or when I'm here, and it is my jo- my role to be the teacher. Then new points of Dhamma come to mind, and then we talk about it. But when I'm out there solving those problems, or being with people, just walking around, going on arms, I'm not contemplating on new points of Dhamma, I'm just applying what I already know. So, I'm asking you, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince you, and trying to explain to you, the reason that you get bothered you get annoyed, you get frustrated in the face of problems is when you don't see that the problem is simply a missing piece. There's just a piece that is missing. There are causes that need to line up and some of those causes are not present right now. That's all it is. Try and train yourself to this mindset. Then you're not worried. You can be as cool as I am. But if you don't see that, if you see a fixed problem, there's a problem, see, a, a problem, there's a problem, right? You now see it as one package. And when you see a fixed problem, you know, it's a fixed package and none of the pieces can move. When you, when you begin to sense like that, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, but none of the pieces can move, let's just say. Then you start to get stressed. You get worried because you don't see a way out. Yeah. Let's imagine we locked all the doors here. Now there's a and we cover the whole place up in curtains and and block out any light. And then when you open your eyes, we we uh, we hog tie you and we we blindfold you and we bring you into the bring you into this room. And now we take off the blindfold. And now it's you have to escape. But if all if there was no light coming from the outside and you couldn't see any of the exits, now you'd get worried. And to add to that, let's just say there's a time bomb. And I, prom- I tell you that it's going to go off in 30 seconds. If you don't get yourself out in 30 seconds, then that's it. The whole place is going to blow up. Now what are you going to do? If you can't see light coming in, because that obviously tells you that there's, there's an exit there, and you can't see any of the doors, now this door for instance, and it's covered with a curtain. If you didn't know there was a door here, you, you, know, you wouldn't stop to think, or at least ask the question, is there a door? Because you immediately assume that there is no exit here. So when you can't see a way out of a problem, at least when you can't think that there might be a way out of a problem, you feel you're trapped in a problem. Don't you feel that way? That's when you feel you are a victim of circumstances. You feel you are trapped. Now as I share this with you, you try and take yourself into a problem that you might have had recently. Where you feel agitated annoyed and frustrated, in each of those moments you felt trapped. 
Try and remember a situation like that, where you felt trapped. The problem trapped you. You felt that way. And when you feel like you are trapped, now you start to accuse all the other people, people around you. You start to accuse the circumstances. You start to accuse the flat tire. You start to accuse the dog, neighbor's dog, who came and took a dump in front of your front, in front, front door. You feel trapped because you don't see an answer. Why do you not see an answer? Because you can't get yourself to begin to see an answer because you don't see problems as simply pieces that haven't lined up properly. What you see is a fixed problem. Try and get yourself out of that. You've seen those mazes, right? You've done mazes as a kid, right? When you, when you see a maze for the first time, and you know, it's, it's got these winding paths, right? And you, you can't see a way out of it. You feel frustrated. That, in fact, that is why solving a maze gives you a sense of pleasure. Why? Because when you first start solving the maze, you feel vexed. <laughs> why is that? You can't see a way out. So you feel trapped. So then you spend your time, the next one hour, two hours, maybe trying to find the way out of this maze. You start drawing the lines, you know, you know, that's a dead end, come back again, take a left here, then you took a right earlier. Right? And then eventually, a few hours later, you find the path out. How do you feel in that moment? Relieved. Yeah? <laughs> how, how is it that a maze got you stressed? Just think about it. How did the maze stress you? Has anything changed about the maze? After you've solved it, what's changed? Let's just say you just traced your finger. Instead of drawing any lines on it, you just traced your finger uh, on the path to try and find the way out, right? So there, is, there are no lines on it. So the maze you started is the maze that you have now. In fact, after you solve it and give it to somebody else, they're going to feel just as stressed as you did earlier. But now you don't. Because now you don't feel trapped. Why do you not feel trapped now? You know the way out. But they feel trapped because they don't know the way out. In other words, what they don't know is that there is, this is just a problem and there is a solution. And the only reason the solution is not obvious is because I haven't figured the causes that have to line up together in the right way. Therefore, they see a maze. In fact, there is no maze. There is no maze. I'll, I'll prove this to you, that there is no maze. I've never drawn one of these before, so please bear with me. Something like that. Can you trace the path? Let's draw the path. So what is this? This is a maze. Amazing, isn't it? Let's trace the path. Okay. So I asked you the question, what is this? And you said it's a it's a maze. In other words, when I first showed this to you, you saw a problem. Now let's see whether it's actually a maze.
What is that? Is that a maze? Hmm? Is this a maze? What is it? It's just a path. Now you say it's a path. Previously you said that was a maze. What changed? Now you are focusing on the solution. Previously you focused on the problem. So, whether it is a maze or a path depends on which you focus on. If you focus on the maze, you see a problem. If you focus on the solution or the path, you see if you, if you focus on the path, you see a solution. When there's a solution, where's the problem? Where's the problem? There is no problem here. So, was there a problem? There was only a problem when you couldn't see the answer, when you couldn't see the solution. Meaning, there was no problem there to begin with. It was just, you couldn't perceive it as a solution. What you saw was, because the solution was always there. You know, it's not like we changed the maze. The solution was always there. You just didn't see it. Because your focus was not on the solution. Your focus was on the problem. But now your focus is on the solution. And it's, it's your, you can do it easily because I've, I've erased the rest of it. If I ask you just focus on the solution, you will still see the problem, partly. But now because I've erased it, you don't see the problem, you just see the solution. And you say, there is no, there's no problem here. There's no maze here, there's no problem here, there's just a solution. So when there is a maze, and you feel like you are trapped, do remind yourself of this talk that we had today. Do remind yourself that you only feel frustrated, you only feel agitated, you only feel trapped, because you, don't, you, you haven't come to your senses that this is just a solution waiting to happen. You've got to look at it from the lens of anicca. What is anicca after all? When the right causes come together, the result manifests. The result was always there. This path was always there. I didn't invent this path. It was always there. I just got you to focus on the path. Previously, you were focusing on the problem. So therefore, when you saw the problem and you took it as one unit, you saw a fixed problem. So you will find yourself in situations in life where you will come across problems, but those problems will only be a bother to you. They will only annoy you, they will only frustrate and agitate you when you see those problems as a fixed problem. Now let's just say, for instance, as we are, you know, here in the sermon, let's say, you know, someone starts to scream outside. Maybe, maybe a dog starts barking, right? And it's, it's quite loud. Or say maybe there's a, someone screaming outside, or maybe there are some, there's some construction work going on. If you don't focus on anicca, or if you don't look at this problem through anicca, here's what you will feel. I can't do the sermon. We can't do the sermon here. This we can't do the sermon is a fixed problem. It is the outcome. It is the output. We can't do the sermon. We, I, can't, I can't listen to the sermon. I can't, I can't be here. We can't do this program here today because there's, there's, there's a noise coming from, from the outside. That, because it's the output, it's a fixed thing. When you focus on that, you don't, you don't see 
that this problem can easily be solved by just changing one or two factors. It's so easy to solve it. You just have to change maybe one factor. When, now, for something to manifest, how many factors usually get involved? One, two, three, usually an infinite number of factors. And if you change one, you get a different result. So, isn't that great news? Why is that great news? <laughs> exactly, because if there are infinite factors that contribute to one result, all you've got to do is just try and change one, and it's no longer the same result. If it's raining outside, you can either try and get the rain to stop, or you can take an umbrella. See? Or you can go another day. Lots of different solutions. If you focus on the problem, you feel trapped. Focus on the solution. What is focusing on the solution? What do I actually mean by focusing on the solution? Cause and effect, absolutely. Look at the problem through the lens of cause and effect and what you will focus on is not the problem, but the solution. And apply this in as many situations as you can in life. You know, you're at home and there's, like I said, the friends who just you know, came out unannounced, right? Now you have a problem. What do you do in that situation? Because there's a problem. That's because you're focused, you're, you feel trapped now, don't you? The best way to identify whether you are reflecting on anicca or not is ask yourself, Am I feel, do I feel stressed? Do I feel agitated? Do I feel trapped? Do I feel a victim? If, you, if the answer is yes to any of the above questions, then your focus is not on anicca right now. Simple way to find out whether you are applying the Dhamma or not. If you are applying the Dhamma, you can't feel that way. If you are not applying the Dhamma, then in those moments, the, the telltale sign of those moments is you feel trapped, you feel agitated, you feel frustrated, you feel, you feel a victim, right? you feel all these things. And, you know, you, we've all been there, so you know, you know what I'm talking about here. But the moment you stop focusing on the problem and start looking at the solution, now you don't feel trapped, you don't feel victimized, because you see a path out. So in that example where I said if there was a ticking time bomb here, right, and someone said, there's a door just behind this, just behind this curtain, right, and you walk to the, to the door just to verify, you move the curtain out of the way, you see the door, ah, you can open this door, and you open the door and you're out, see? In fact, you don't even need to get out. Just the fact that you know that now there's a door there and that there is a way out, you don't feel the same anyway. You don't feel the same anymore. You feel relaxed. When you solve that maze, you feel relaxed. So the fact that you feel relaxed, you feel pleasure, means there was vexation beforehand. How can a maze vex you? But if you, after solving that maze and you give the same maze to somebody else, the person sat next to you, Right? They'll feel vexed until they solve it. Then you can, you, you'd probably tell me that a maze is vexatious. It is not. It is not vexatious. Oh, it, is, it doesn't vex. You can think of it as vexatious, but ultimately it doesn't vex you. It is your outlook, it's your approach to it that gets you vexed. Because look at, the, look at the solution, see the path out, and you're no longer vexed. So to see the path out, all you've got to do is work out causes. 
what are the causes that can get me the, re- the desired effect? You know, this is, a sim- this is just to represent any kind of problem that you might find yourself in, right? Every problem you've had in life so far, did you not find a way out of it? It could have taken you sometimes a day, perhaps a week, perhaps a month, maybe several years, right? But you found a way out of it. See, you're here right now. You seem to be all right. But when the, when the problems came, you know, it seemed like it, it consumed you. Right? You feel like you were, you were the problem. In fact, you were the problem. But it felt like I am the problem. The whole, my whole world is consumed by the problem. I can't focus and think of nothing else. I can't think of anything else. The whole, I am consumed by the problem. You would have felt that way. Until you found the path out. And then when you found the path out, now that is no longer a problem to you. To find the path out of this maze, whatever maze you find yourselves in, all you've got to do is, first of all, the first thing you've got to do is take a deep breath, look at the problem again, and remind yourselves, Anichit. So powerful. I'm telling you what I do every day when problems come to me. Anichit. There's just a missing piece. That's all it is. Just one piece missing. Try and find that piece. Maybe it's staring right at you in the face, but it's just this way. All you've got to do is switch them around. Did you see that earlier with the rabbit? Yeah. It's staring at you right in the face. All you've got to do is stop thinking about, I've got a problem, and realize that all this is are the causes not lined up in the right manner. Sometimes all the causes are there. They're just not aligned properly. Then all you have to do is align them. Sometimes a cause is missing. Then what you've got to do is go find that cause. I encourage you all to start looking at problems in life in that way. So problems are really, you can boil them down to two things. One, you don't have the causes. Two, the causes are there, they're just not lined up properly. That's all it is. So what is Nibbana then? What is, what is, why, why do you suffer right now? Either you haven't found the cause, or the causes aren't lined up properly. That's all it is. Once you start seeing this in that way, you, you, you don't worry about it. How, how do you live a carefree life? How do you live worry-free? Here, here's the answer. You can live worry-free when you look at all problems that used to bother you, used to annoy you, used to frustrate you. Right? And now you begin to understand it as simply causes and they're lining up. If they're misaligned, you still don't see the solution. If you don't have all the right causes, you still don't see the solution. You just need to do these two things. Now, take a moment and go into your own worlds, like your personal worlds, your lives, your home life, your work life. See if you can find, think of a problem and look at it, take a different approach to it, take a different perspective. And see if the problem, the answer isn't just staring at you in the face. All you've got to do is look at it properly. The answer is there, staring right at you. You just have to, you know, you're squint-eyed perhaps. That's why you can't see the problem, you see the solution. What if you are stood upside down? The answer is right in front of you, but you're standing upside down. You just got to stand right side up and then you see the answer. Perhaps some of you might have, you know, problems with maybe debt. Maybe debt is a problem. 
Right? And you're wondering every day, how am I going to get myself debt free? So much debt, how am I going to get myself debt free? How did other people get themselves out of debt? The same way that you are going to get yourself out of debt. Causes and line them up properly and then you shall be debt free. How did you get yourself into debt? Causes and line them up properly. Because you can't just wish yourself into debt. There are causes that have to line up. It's not just the things that you like, even the things that you dislike. You can't just wish for them. There are causes that manifest them. Can you just wish for a cancer? Can you wish a cancer on yourself? You can't do that. There are causes that have to line up. So how come, how, how does getting yourself out of cancer? The same way. There are causes that have to line up. Cause and effect is all it is. Start looking at things in that way. If you, if you, if you suffer, perhaps physically, maybe you, you have a pain in some part of your body, right? look at it through cause and effect. Otherwise, the problem will consume you. If you look at the problem as a unit, if you take it as one, one unit, right? if you look, take it as an entity, it will consume you. You will define yourself by it. Let's say you have a limp in your leg. Right? You'll call yourself a limp. I'm a limp. You call yourself a limp because you have defined yourself by that. Stop defining yourself by the problems that you have. That happens when you don't see that it is simply cause and effect. It happens when you identify it as a unit and now that is part of you. If you are poor, let's just take that simple example. If you are poor, you know, people say, I am poor. How is it that I can be poor? If I am poor, how can others be poor? I am poor. If I am poor, how can you be poor then? If being poor is something that belongs to me, if that is part of my identity, how can you also be poor? So is it I who is poor? No, what is poor then? Cause and effect. Have there never been people who were poor? So how did they get themselves out of being poor? Change of causes, change of effect. Anyone who got themselves out of poverty stopped looking at themselves as a victim of circumstances and started looking at them as an effect of causes. That is how anyone who was poor came out of poverty. Anyone who's got poor health, right? maybe the doctor is saying, you, you've got to work out, you've got to be mindful of your diet, right? you, you're, in, you're in bad shape. Stop defining yourself like that. If you identify that as a unit, then you will identify it, yourself with it, and then it will become part and parcel of who you are. Maybe, maybe some among you are, you know, you, you, you worry yourselves about perhaps, you know, some ailment that you might have because you define yourselves by it. You identify yourselves with it. Maybe it's a bad back, for instance. And you keep telling yourself, you know, because of my bad back, I can't do this, I can't do that. And that, 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 that always comes to the forefront. Whatever you can't do, it's because of my bad back. 
That is so much so that the bad back has become part of your identity. That is because you see the maze. Stop looking at the maze. Start seeing the path. Start focusing on the solution, not on the problem. It is only a problem until you start focusing on the solution. This is simply cause and effect. Work out the causes. Bring those causes in the right order, in the right alignment, and all you have is a solution. If you don't see that, you will be consumed by your problem. Whatever that problem might be, as I said, it could be poverty, it could be family relationship problems, right? Maybe for some of you, have, you still have some of those problems, family relationships. Your brother doesn't see eye to eye. Your cousin, you know, they were good with you, but now they're not. But, you know, you allow yourselves to be consumed by it. Maybe there was a split in the family, and now you're consumed by it. So stop focusing and looking at them as unitary problems. Start to realize that they are all causes and effects. That is the application of anicca. As I said, application of anicca shouldn't just happen to the pen, because although I always show you the pen and ask you, does this clip belong to this pen? These are simply objects that are used to explain a principle. But their true application is going to be in the lab of life. And that lab of life is where you encounter all the issues, the problems the, uh, that you come across on a daily basis. Is the problem that you always have, does this clip belong to this pen? Is that, is that your life problem? No, your life problem is something else. Maybe it's your wife problem. Then you have to apply the principles to that. If you say you've had a, maybe an argument with someone, maybe someone in the family, you've had an argument. Husband's wife, you know, normal things, arguments. It's part and parcel of living a married life, right? Arguments. That's okay. But don't define your marriage by the arguments. Don't use it as the, as the defining characteristic. Just realize that there are causes that give rise to these effects. Stop looking at it as a, as a fixed thing. Stop looking at it as a unit. Start looking at, uh, looking at it as pieces of a puzzle. Move them around. Shift them around. You know, give yourselves a breath of fresh air. You can do that just by reanalyzing a problem as simply causes that have not lined up properly. Redefine your problems is what I'm asking you to do. Redefine your problems. Whatever problem you might have, redefine it. Right? If you want to head back home today, start making a list of all those problems that you might have in your life or right? oh, on the way back home. Right? Make a quick list of the problems, the top three problems in your life. Stop thinking of them as problems. Start seeing them Redefine them as simply manifestations because the causes haven't lined up properly. You will, trust me, you will, you will sense such a relief just by the mere act of doing that will give you such a relief because now you know that there is a way out of this. When you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you don't feel trapped. I mean, literally, <laughs> this is not just a metaphor. Literally, if you see the light at the end of the tunnel, now do you feel trapped? What if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? You feel trapped. The light is always there. 
is always there. Because if it's, a, if it's a tunnel, must it not have a beginning and an end? Otherwise it's not a tunnel, is it? Yeah? If it's a problem, must it not have a solution? Always. How long is it going to take you to get you out of the problem? When you have a problem, how long does it take you to get you out of that problem? As long as it takes for you to understand that it is simply causes and effects. That's how long. Nothing more, nothing less. That is why you don't need to beg, borrow or steal. Because once you are armed with the principle of cause and effect, now all you've got to do is in the face of a problem, start looking at it as simply causes that are yet to be lined up. That just the thought, just the mere thought should give you an assurance that oh, it's okay, I don't need to worry because there's an answer. There's an answer, I don't need to worry. How long will it take? Just as long as it takes you to figure out what order your causes need to be lined up. That's it. It's like it's there. It's there. It's not, it's not that it's not there. It's there. You just need to find it. It's there. The assurance that you must give yourselves in any problem is the answer is there. Because if there's no answer, if there's no solution, there's no problem. So redefine all your problems in that way. How is this related to Anichiduk and Anatta? You might ask me, is this, or are we just talking about problem solving today? So, I mean, is this a management course or something? <laughs> no, this is entirely related to Anichiduk and Anatta because what people don't understand is when there's a problem, they feel agitated. Right? They, they, you know, it really weighs them down. Think about it. You go back in life into times when you've had problems and you felt really, really bothered. You, you felt really weighed down. Right? And, and sometimes you, you know, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you completely lost your cool so much so that now you can't, see, you can't see the obvious because you're consumed by the problem. And sometimes, you know, a stranger, passerby comes and says, why are you doing that? It's such a, you know, why, stop doing this and do that. And, oh, yeah. Sometimes the answer is so obvious. But because you're so consumed by the problem itself, you, you, you don't see it. You don't see the solution because you're focused on a problem. A problem. You're focused on a maze. You're not focused on the path. For as long as you see, you don't see the path, you see the maze. When you see the path, you don't see the maze now. You see the path. Imagine I had a piece of string and I tied it up, right? I got a piece of string and tied it up into a ball, right? And I, got, I gave it to you. And I asked you, what is this? You'll tell me this is a piece of string tied up. And then I ask you, I want you to untie this, untangle this, right? What are you going to look for to untangle this? There's a piece of string that is tangled. What are you going to look for? Where are you going to start? How, what is your approach? You look for the first knot, don't you? You go along the string, you walk along the string, right? Maybe you, you feel along the string, you, say you, pass your, through, you pass it through your fingers until you get to the first knot. You, you see the first knot, you take it into your hand, you, you examine the knot. And then you see how the knot has been tied. The moment you see how the knot is tied, you no longer feel that it is a knot. It is not a knot. <laughs> because now you see that it is just a piece of string that has been wound a certain way. 
So all you've got to do now is undo the knot. But if I gave you a, a, a ball of tied knot right, and say, untangle that, you go, whoa, how much time do, are you going to give me? This is going to take me forever. You know, if any of you do any sewing, right, or maybe as handicrafts or whatever, right, if you take a piece of string and when you want to untie it, you, you keep going down the thread to find, to find the first knot. And then you take that knot, you look at it. You look at how the knot has been formed. The moment you see that, you have your answer. You don't even have to undo it. You just have to see it. Because when you see it, what are you looking at? Anicca, absolutely. You're looking at Anicca. You're looking at how, what are the causes that have lined up to give you this effect. See, the moment you see cause and effect, all problems disappear. Because there are no problems. The only problem is you not seeing Anicca. That is the only problem there is. There are no other problems. <coughs> so whose fault is it that we are, in, we are in such deep problems, whoever we and whenever? Our own fault, because we don't see, we don't look at it through the lens of Anicca. See, once you start looking at it in this way, problems don't bother you. They don't weigh you down. You don't feel stressed. Then, you know, your whole waking day, you can just keep on solving problems. They don't bother you. They don't frustrate you. Let's say I get to, I get news that two of us, Ila Sravikas, are having a fight. Uh, in the hut outside, two of us, Ila Sravika Mahatmyas, are having a fight. Hmm? What must we do? See, Anicca. Yes. We just need to... Because what? why are they having that fight? Exactly. They're not seeing Anicca. That's why. They don't see cause and effect. How is fighting going to solve problems? Hmm? Can nuclear bombs solve problems? What do you think? Nuclear missiles, can they solve problems? Do they solve problems? Or do they create problems? They create problems because if you don't see anicca, you don't see the you don't see the answer to the, to the solution, and every wrong answer you take only exacerbates the problem. That is, you know, by its very nature, it is so. Every wrong turn you take takes you further from your from your destination. So you know, at times, if you can't see the solution, it's better to just stay put and not and not keep moving forward, because every wrong turn you take. It's going to take you further and further from your destination. Nuclear missiles is not an answer. It's the wrong answer to a problem. So every time you take that answer, you only worsen the problem. So what about fighting? Hmm? Fighting physically or fighting verbally? What about that? Do you think it's an answer? No. But isn't that what people do half the time? Not half the time, that's an understatement. Most of the time, you feel angry when things don't go to plan. Is that the answer? No. Why do you feel angry then? Tell me. Because you don't see? Anicca. If you know that the reason, right? See, imagine I'm trying to write with this pen. 
I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you really simple examples because you know, we have young people in the audience and you know, examples don't have to be complex. The Dhamma doesn't need to be complex. Your problems might be complex, but the solutions are never complex. They're so simple. See? Can you see the problem? Now look at me, okay? I don't see the problem. I'm not, look, I'm not seeing Anicca. Pen. Who put this pen here? Can't even write with it. If you're going to bring a pen, can you please make sure that it can write? Who put this pen here? See? What am I not seeing that you are seeing right now? Hmm? Yeah. I'm not seeing the answer because I'm focusing on a problem. And when I, when, I, when I see a problem, now I start pointing my finger outwards. I'm asking, who put this here? Why did they put this here? Now, can't they be a bit more thoughtful than this? See, always pointing the finger outwards. Whereas if I focus on nature, I realize that the problem is with me. All I've got to do is do that. And now it writes perfectly. See, the moment I see... Through anicca, tell me, is there a reason for me to be angry? Hmm? The moment I realize the reason that the pen doesn't write is because I haven't uncapped this. Is there a reason for me to be angry? So why do you get angry? You get angry because you don't see the problem. You don't see the solution. You don't look at the problem through anicca. And so you feel trapped. Then you feel stifled, like someone suffocating you. If you imagine if you know someone held your nose and your mouth together at the same time, right? And then you were expected to, to survive that. After a little while, what do you start doing? You start throwing your arms and legs around, right? Yeah, you know, like imagine someone um, submerged in water. Perhaps they can't swim, right? And they can't breathe now. So both mouth and nose is, is, is below the, the, the level of the water, surface level. And now they can't breathe. What do they start doing now at this point? They start throwing their arms and legs around, right? This is because they feel trapped. When you feel trapped, you never take rational answers. All your answers are irrational. When you feel trapped... These are, the, these are the answers that you later regret. Because you know, after the fact, when you're out of the problem, those answers were completely irrational. Now you regret. Look at it. Every time you've regretted what, you might, what you've done to come out of a problem, it was because you realize, you realize it after the fact. After you've come out of the problem. Maybe a day later, two later, maybe a week later. And you tell yourself... I shouldn't have said that. Why do you say I shouldn't have said that? You know, do you think I'm ever going to say, after, after realizing that I should, I should just uncap this pen and start writing, do, I, do you think I'm ever going to say, I shouldn't have done that? Do you think I'm ever going to say that? I shouldn't have uncapped this pen to write? Are you with me? Let me ask you the question again. I, I want to write, and the pen's not writing. Then I realize it's only because the cap is on the pen. I uncap it, and then I start writing. Two days later, I tell myself, I shouldn't have done that. Do you think I'm ever going to say that? 
Why not? Why not? Because that is the right answer. But what about the me shouting? What about the me asking who put it here? Why did they put it here? Why didn't they check? What about that? Am I not going to regret about it? Ah, right. So every time you've regretted about something, was that not because after the event, after the fact, you realized that those were not the causes that created the problem? Meaning, later on you see anicca. But in the moment, you didn't. That's why you got annoyed. That's why you got agitated. So, in, whenever you are in a problem and you start getting boiled up inside, right? when it starts heating up inside, when you start throwing your arms and legs around, when you start raising your voice, hmm? when you start frowning, when your fists start clenching, do try and come to your senses. I know it's going to be virtually impossible in those moments. Because you are out of your senses. How can you come to your senses in that time? That is why you need a Kalyana Mitra in, the, in those times. Dhamma have Rakati Dhammachari because the Dhamma becomes your Kalyana Mitra once it is installed in your mind. Then you don't go into that mode. See, this is defense mode. Because you feel trapped. When you feel trapped, you just want a way out because your mind is vexing right now. See? I want to write and the pen won't write. Now my mind is vexing. And when my mind is vexing, I need a way out of that vexation. I don't want to write really. That's not what I'm looking for. Although it looks like I'm trying to write, that is not what my mind wants right now. My mind wants to relieve itself from vexation. And, a, and an easy path out of vexation is to transfer it to somebody else. Because once you start feeling that boil inside, you know, the pressure inside, one easy release from that pressure is to take it out on others. That's why usually the juniors get that treatment from the seniors. And then they, then they get from it from, from their seniors and they get it from their seniors and that's how the world works. So the senior, the senior most person is the person who is the most vexed. <laughs> because they pass it down the chain all the way right down to the most junior. Sometimes they don't have any problem at all. But all they have to do is to be a vent for the frustrations, the annoyances that come all the way from the top. Now if you ever, if you ever get yourselves into a position where you have all that responsibility, all that power, that authority, do make sure that you have a responsibility to ensure that you understand Anicca. That responsibility you have to yourself as well as to your subordinates. Imagine if Guru Hamdra didn't practice the path. Just imagine that. And if he always felt vexed and annoyed and bothered by things, do you think you'd, we'd all have a happy life here? No, because he'd always be passing it down the chain. He'll be passing it to me, I'll be passing it to <laughs> the members of the Sangha Council and then them, them passing it down to their, their students and to their students and so on. Until the right person at the end gets the kick. Like the dog gets the kick when, he, when you get home from work. Because you just pass it down. Because people don't know 
that problems are only problems until you start looking at it through the lens of anicca. Then there are no problems, all there are are solutions. So I urge you, whenever you have those moments where you feel trapped, where you feel like there is no answer, where you feel that you are boiling up inside, where you feel that you are heating up inside, do do try and I know this is going to be incredibly difficult because in those moments you are you're out of your senses. That's like you know looking at a madman and saying, don't be mad. <laughs> no, looking at a crazy guy and saying, don't be crazy. If that was so simple, you could go to Angod and just tell everybody, okay, three, two, one, don't be crazy. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know, that is why the Buddha is unparalleled. There is no equal of his because when he was crazy, no one told him he was crazy. He realized that by himself. You know, just imagine how a crazy man can realize for themselves that they're crazy. They can't be more difficult, something more difficult than that. Something almost more impossible than that. It is pure merit power that does that. This is the paramita. To realize that you're crazy and then come out of it. Yourself. It's like once you fall in a pit, come out of it by yourself. With no help from others. But once you're out, now you can help others. Right? So for a crazy man to be, to be healed... You've got to first tell them, you're crazy, you need help. Come on, I'll help you. That is how we do it. Sravakas. But the Buddha, there was no one to do that. So that's why I say it's incredibly difficult. When you, when you are in that moment, it's incredibly difficult to come out of it by yourself. This is why you need to have noble association among you. To help you find noble answers. Otherwise you, you come across ignoble answers. The wrong answer. The wrong answer will only agitate the problem. It will only make the problem worse. Every single wrong step you take will only make things worse for you. You know this because you've been there and you've done that. Right now what I'm telling you seems obvious. But it doesn't when you're in the pickle. <laughs> when you get yourself into that pickle, right, and you're getting annoyed about something, then well, where does go, all that good sense go? <laughs> Out the window. <laughs> because then you're vexed. And when the mind is vexed, it only needs one thing. How do I relieve myself from vexation? That is why we practice before we get vexed. Oftentimes people come and ask me, Swaminas, I get angry all the time, what do I do? The answer is, when you're angry, there's nothing to do. <laughs> After you get angry, there is nothing to do. Try and you know tie yourself up to your bed or something. Because every time you're angry, you're just going to keep doing the wrong thing. Right? Or when you have lustful thoughts, what do I do? In that moment, it's too late. Because this is not a repair shop, I always keep telling people. This is not a repair shop. This is not a place where you come to fix broken things. This is a place where we come to fortify our minds so that they don't break in the first instance. But have a noble association and companionship around you wherever possible, whenever possible. That is what I do my whole life. I am surrounded by noble companions. Because they are constantly there to remind me, you're crazy. Come back to your senses. You're crazy, you've gone mad. Come back to your senses. You're angry, come back to your senses. See? Because you need that in that moment. That is when you need it, in that moment. Because you can't do it for yourself. In lay life, this is going to be incredibly difficult. Because when you're angry, what do people generally do? Oh, he's gone angry. Let's just keep our distance for now. Don't go and talk to him now. He's angry. 
Actually, what do they actually need at this moment? Someone to talk to. <laughs> Someone to come and tell them, tell them what is right from wrong. But is there something more difficult than trying to convince a, an angry man that he's wrong? Hmm? Is there something more difficult than that? Oh, no. Whenever someone's angry, you don't try to go and <laughs> debate with them or argue with them or try and tell them that they're wrong. First, you have to absorb the pressure that is built up in their own minds. That's why when someone is really angry, right? One of the first things you go, you, we, one of the first things to do, really, and this is this is good advice, is go and say, "I am sorry." This is a tact. When you know you're not the one who's wronged, but you go and say, "I am sorry." What does that do for them? Relief. Because they are trapped. When they are trapped, they are looking for some path, some vent to release their agitation. Remember, you know, there's so much pressure built up in there. If you don't do it, then this saucer will have to say, I'm sorry. Yeah, or some ornament will have to pay the price. So why don't you pay the price? Because this is, this is one way in which you can relieve your vexation. That's why people do that. Crash enough plates, and eh? now you come back to your senses. Why do people do that, actually? Why, why do people resort to, you know, breaking things and banging things and, like, you know, you know when someone's angry at home, right? The door normally closes without a noise, but when they're angry, it just goes bang, right? Or the drawers. Hmm? Or when things are put back on, put back down, go like this. Or the car door, it gets whacked shut. Right? Or you, they, drive, they drive faster. Yeah, this, is, this is the energy that is built up inside. That is why they do that. They have so much energy built up inside, they, they have to vent it. You know, stop thinking about it as, as, a, as a man or a woman or, as a, or a person. This is simply energy. The mind is an energy source. The mind can generate energy, and this energy that is generated has to be released somewhere. That is why crashing this helps. That is why breaking us also helps, because that is... I'm not going to do it now, don't worry. <laughs> that gives you a vent to release that energy. And it makes you feel that you've done something big. Otherwise, you know, why does it have to make all that noise? Why, why, why does it have to be so, so loud? When people scream, when people shout, and then you know, an angry man doesn't just normally talk like you and I, right? You know, they, they scream because that is all the energy that they're trying to output or put out of their system. Again, even those problems look at it through the lens of anicca. Why is this man behaving like this? Look at it through the lens of anicca. Cause and effect again. Because this is not an angry man. What is there? Just lots of energy. This is just lots of energy. But this energy is tainted with aversion, sometimes with delusion, sometimes with desire. And when that energy gets built up, now it just has to be released. So what are we doing then as practitioners of Buddhist philosophy? What we are trying, what we are doing is taming our minds so that this, so we know how to be, make better use of this energy. Mental energy is so important. You know, when someone practices samadhi, 
right? Or deep con- levels of concentration. That's a lot of energy. But that energy is channeled in the right way. It's channeled for good. For the good of people. For themselves and others. That is what we learn to do. See, now look at all the work we do at the monastery. You know, all of us together. Like what I gave a few examples of at the beginning. Like the school, the rehab center. Right, very soon, soon enough. Right, our young... Uh, child development center with noble hearts, you know, that's, it needs a lot of energy. You know, you can't, we can't just you know, sleep, on our, sleep all day and things won't get done. Every day our devotees come to the monastery, rotis get baked. Right? And, and about a thousand every day. That requires energy. I don't mean just the LPG, I mean the human energy that is required. This is energy that is in the mind, but energy that is channeled in the right way. Vita Raga, Vita Dosa, Vita Moha are ways in which energy can be channeled. Raga Desha Moha are another way. There are other ways in which energy can be channeled. So depending on how pure or impure your mind is, the energy that is spawned in the mind gets channeled in the right way or the wrong way for, for, for destruction or for healing. That is the difference. And to do that, what I'm asking you all to do is whenever there's a problem, come to your senses about it. Have a noble companionship, you know, companion rather. If you remember the New Year's message that we gave, maybe last time we did one of those things, I said have someone you can, an accountability partner. Have an accountability partner. Someone who's by your side. You know, what I really meant was have a noble companion. They may not know as much Dhamma as you, perhaps. Maybe they don't even come to the sermons. But you can ask them to, tell, to remind you, be your God. Be your God. When you go out mentally, they, allow them and give them a license, essentially. So, you know, you must assure them, don't you worry, in those moments, no matter how terrible I am, no matter how angry I, you might see me, I give you the authority the right to give me a, a signal. Just give me a signal. Because in those moments I've lost, I've lost my bearings. I need someone to put me back on track. Because you need it, ladies and gentlemen. Because there aren't two of you in those moments. It's not like that. There's only one of you. When your mind is doing that, dvesha, when you're, when you're running a dvesha chitta, right? a, a chitta with anger, right? in those moments there's not, a, there's not another one of you that, that feels remorse towards it. That will happen later on in this series. So when a chitta is deluded, wisdom will not arise in that chitta because those, th- those two things are mutually exclusive. So you can't be in your senses and out of your senses at the same time. Wisdom and ignorance are mutually exclusive. So whenever the mind is ignorant, it cannot also be wise. That is why you need wisdom to come from the outside in those moments. That is your teacher. That is your guide. That is what I am surrounded by. So that if ever I step out the noble path, someone tells me, ah, back, back, back. And I'm back on the noble path. That is what I came to the sasana for. To have that noble companionship. One, to tame myself. To understand the truth. So that I don't get myself into those situations in the first place. That is the first thing. Secondly, if I ever do step out of line, if I ever do forget 
if I ever do come out of my senses, then there's always going to be people around me who take compassion towards me and out of kindness, loving kindness, they remind me, back on track, please. If you don't have that, like a drunken driver, you're only going to end up crashing. And we've all, we've, we all know this because we've all been there. We all have such memories of, of times where we've taken, we've taken the wrong path, we've gone off track, right? and there was no one to stop us, there was no one to guard us, there was no noble companionship to remind us, you're going out of track, do come back, because in those moments we were too ferocious for someone to even come close to us. <laughs> because you know, you're throwing your arms and legs about, you're shouting things out, you're swearing at people. You know, people think the best thing to do right now is just keep their distance. That is one of the greatest disservices that they did to you, but you know, they couldn't be helped. Because you were like that, untamed. You know, when there's an angry lion or an angry animal, an angry bear, right? And it's really angry, a hungry bear. Now, you, you, don't, you don't get close to it until it, it maybe sleeps. And then you go and try and tame it. So when, you, when there were times in your life where you were an angry beast, right? people would normally have taken a step back and just waited for you to calm down. But in, in those moments, you know, if you spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, right, really peeved off, right, shouting all these things and swearing at other people and crashing things on the floor, what about all the karma that you did in those times? Can you go back and rewind it? Can you undo it? No, but there was no noble companion to stop you from committing those deeds. There's no one to stop you. You did them. Now, who has to pay the price? What throws up, what you throw up, comes back down on your own head. So whenever you, ha you find yourself in these problems, I, I, I urge you, ladies and gentlemen, you know, take a moment to look at it through the lens of anicca. Maybe have a sticker on your window, or maybe on your mirror. Right? Anicca, just one word, anicca. It doesn't even have to be anicca. Something that reminds you that you have to take an, a cause and effect perspective on the problem that you're in. Something that reminds you, you know, perhaps if, you're, if it's a workplace where you, you generally get annoyed, right? maybe your screensaver, maybe your wallpaper, maybe on your monitor you can have a little sticker, a sticky note that says, Anicca. Right? They are not problems. Or oh, oh, just reminding you, not the maze, but the path. Something like that. So other, others don't necessarily need to understand it. It's cryptic, but you understand it. Don't see the maze, see the path. They're good reminders. Because what you lack for in noble companionship, you're going to have to make up for it. For lack of a noble companion, here's what you can do. That is why you give you the pirit thread. So you can have it on your wrist. I don't need one. Not because I'm a monk. But I'm surrounded by Piri threads, 450 of them, constantly reminding me, huh? on the path or out the path. That is a protection. It is said like the Pirit Nola gives you protection. Pirit is a protection. What greater protection is there than the protection of noble companions? 
who want nothing more than good to come to you. They don't take, they, they don't, they don't approach or approach problems or, or situations looking for what is in it for them. They look at what's in it for you. So, what greater protection can you hope for? That is why we all come to the sasana, looking for that. Those two things mainly: one, the dhamma, so that we don't get ourselves into those situations, and two, noble companionship, so that if ever you step out of line, they put you back on track, and that they do ever so gracefully. Ever so gently, ever so kindly, but always mindful. We need to get them back on track as soon as possible. And they, you don't have people who take advantage of you. That is what you have out there. Sometimes, you know, when you're angry with someone, let's just, I, I, you know, I'll paint this picture for you. Let's say you're angry with John, right? Now, uh, Harry doesn't like John. If you're angry with John, what would Harry do? They take advantage of that. If you don't like John, what Harry's going to do is now they'll come and talk to you and say all the terrible things that John's up to and what John said about you, you know, to your back, right? and how John's cooing up and, and, and making plans to, to, to bring you further destruction and misery. That's what Harry's going to do. And try and win favors from you because he's trying to exploit your falling out with John. That is what they do out there. No. Hello. <laughs> that is when you're angry. What about when you're feeling lustful about something? When you feel desire towards something, strong, strong feelings of desire, what do they do then? Yet again, they take advantage of that. What is advertising if not that? They vex you up and then they tell you, come, give me your money and I will give you freedom. But first they vex you up. They vex you up. You pay for the vexation as well. You pay for the object. And then you pay for the service. And then after they have given you that, you say thank you also. <laughs> How nice you are. <laughs> How naive you are. You pay for vexing you. You pay for the object that has just vexed you. You pay for the, the distribution, the marketing, the advertising, you pay for all that. Right? And then they give it to you, and then they put a, give it to you with a service, with a smile on their face, for which you also pay. That's the tip. And then you say, thank you so much. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. Come to your senses. <clears throat> Of course, we must be courteous to those who support us and help us and give us service, right? Because, you know, on another day I will tell you, please ensure that you say thank you to those who come and look after you and help you and support you. Of course, that is what we must all do. Be grateful. But at the same time, let us not be fooled that what people are doing out there are they're exploiting our weaknesses. Let's not be fooled about that. They're exploiting your weaknesses. If someone knows that what you like, you like good food, they can drain every penny that you drip out. They can drain you of every penny in your pocket just by enticing you, by showing you, by putting all sorts of food, tasty, yummy, delicious in front of you. They exploit you. 
we, we can't be blaming them. It's not, it's not their fault. It's our fault for not taming ourselves properly through the Dhamma. And it's our fault for not being amongst noble companions. That's our fault. Again, it's not anybody's fault, but lack of merits. That's why we do merits. What's the last thing you normally say at the end of any meritorious deed or an almsgiving? Imina punya kamena mame bala samagamo satan samagamo hotu yavanibbana patya. Imina punya kamena mame. Who is mama? Look at mama. Mame bala samagamo. What does that mean? By the power of these merits, May I never have to associate ignoble, immoral people, people, whatever, right? immorality, let's just put it that way, the ignobility and immorality, whether it comes in shapes and size of people or not, right? And satan samagamohotu yava nibbana patya, until the moment of my attainment to nibbana, may I be able to associate noble ones and good companions. You say that at the end of the almsgiving, and then you get into your car and you drive back home. Huh? Don't you? So you do all these merits, right from the morning, wake up early in the morning and prepare the alms, take it to the temple, do all that, and at the end of that you make a wish. Never will I associate ignoble, immoral people. Okay, sadhu, ging and nan. And you get into your car and you drive back home. Who are you driving back into? Bala samagam. See, if your wish were to come true, what would you have to do at the end of that? Hmm? Stay. If you were serious, about your about your wish when you say that at the end. Huh? What must you do? Stay. Why do you go there? You're not serious enough. When we all came, there was no space for any of us. You're right. There was no space for any of us. But those who came, built for the rest. Remember the conveyor belt? Everyone that comes, they build. And they build for the next generation. Like our forefathers did for us. We always build for the next generation. Because the sasana should prevail and we should perish. That is what the Sambuddha sasana is. The Sambuddha sasana is only, only as successful as our intentions are. Our intention should be to perish so that the sasana can prevail. If our intention is to prevail, then the sasana will perish. Only this, So this place isn't big enough for the two of us. This place isn't big enough, this world isn't big enough for both the sasana and I. Either one of us has to perish so that the other can prevail. If I prevail, the sasana will perish. If the sasana prevails, then I must perish. So what are we here to do then? Yes, absolutely. Sacrifice ourselves for the sasana. So to sacrifice ourselves for the sasana, what must we do? Go to town hall? Hmm? With placards in our hands? Is that what the ministry of Buddha sasana is there for? To prevail the sasana? Is that what it is for? No, that is 
They'll do their part, but we have to do our part. Because the Buddha has very clearly laid down what the Buddha Sasana is. Sabbhapa Sakarana, Kusala Supasampada, Satita Pariyodapana. That is the Buddha Sasana. Where does that happen? In the mind, absolutely. All three of those things happen in the mind. It is not in the pagodas, it is not in the stupas, it is not in the shrine rooms, it is not in the statues, it is not in the alms food, it is not in these buildings. It, all this happens in the mind. So what we've been talking about today, stop looking at the maze, start looking at the path. Right? All of these are practical things that you can do to fulfill the sasana. Because once you see the path, then sabba papa sa happens. Why do you shout at people? This is papa. This is demerit. Because you feel trapped. Right? Now try and try and experience what I'm what I've just shared with you this morning. Right? When you get home, for those of you, this is home, your home, right? So start doing it immediately. For others, when you get home, right? Whenever you feel trapped, try and remember what I shared with you this morning. Ah, this is what Swami Nuhansa said this morning. Trapped. I feel trapped now. I feel trapped now. I feel vexed now. I feel like there's no path out of this problem. I feel like I'm in a maze. That problem can come in different forms. It could be something as simple as the pens run out, dried out, right? Or it could be something as there's no water left. Maybe it's too hot. Maybe it's too cold. Let's just say at the end of this sermon, they tell me that the camera wasn't switched on recording. <laughs> Come to think of it, it's happened in the past. <laughs> Especially when you had the corona time. <laughs> Some days I've done the sermon two times. <laughs> because the camera wasn't switched on recording. <laughs> Cause and effect. I was meant to hear the sermon twice. That's why. <laughs> and the second time was always better than the first time. Because when you do a first sermon for the first time, you don't know what you're going to say. But when you do it for the second time, now you are pre-armed with all the knowledge that you discovered on the, on the route, on route first time. So the second sermon is always better. So that was meant to, that is what I was meant to do. I was meant to hear that sermon twice. So those things have happened. That is not to say you can do it again. So whenever you feel trapped, Take a deep breath and remind yourself the path, not the maze. The path is always there. You just need to see the path. If you see the maze, you feel trapped. Look at the path. You see a path out. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. You feel relaxed. Then you can solve as many problems as life brings to your door. Then you just become a problem-solving machine. That's it. If life is a series of problems, then living is solving those problems. What do you want to do? Be without problems or be someone who is not vexed in face of problems? Because if you want to be without problems, then go, go hang yourself. <laughs> then you have no problems. That is the last problem you'll have to solve, at least as much as you know. All the problems will come after that. <laughs> right? But if you, there's no point in trying to run away from problems. You can never do that. This running away from problems is not literally running away from problems. It's to realize that this is, a, this is a solution. There's a solution staring at me right in my face. That way you can run away from problems. But not running away from the problem. You are the problem. Understand that. 
when you realize you are the problem, your perspective is the problem, you're not looking at it analytically, you're not looking at it for the solution is the problem, then there is no problem there. So I invite you over the course of the next week, you know, on your way back home, take a few problems that, are, that you're having to deal with these days. It could be about your children, right? it could be about work, it could be maybe your car's giving you trouble, maybe your, your house is giving, your home is giving you trouble, maybe it's a leaking tap, whatever. Problems need to be solved, but if it bothers you, annoys you, agitates you, frustrates you, come to your senses. Anicca. The path, not the maze. See the path, and the maze will disappear. That's why they say, you know, when the teacher... No, that's not how they say it, is it? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. What that means is, when the environment is ready, the vipaka that is required will start to manifest. That is what it means. That is what it means. So when, you're, when you are ready, when you are the student, when you have a student mindset, what is a student mindset? A student mindset is a mindset that looks for solutions. See, the teacher's job is to give you problems to solve, right? If you are a math teacher, what does a math teacher do? Solve this problem. Here are a hundred sums, solve it for homework. What do you do as students? Look for solutions. Yeah. So a student's job is always to look for solutions. So when you have that approach, when you have the student's approach, when you have a solution approach, then the teacher appears. The teacher is the solution. It appears. Meaning it's always there staring at you in the face. You just didn't see it. So our relationship to that, what we discuss here as, as, as practicing Buddhists in, in, in Buddhist philosophy, is contemplate on how anicca applies to this situation. When you don't see anicca, dukkha happens within you, and, you and, and so this is jati and jati dhamma. You take the problem as one. You take the problem as one. The pen has run out. You take it as one. Therefore you suffer. You, will, you, know, you know this particularly where sometimes you regret, like if you sometimes have thoughts of anger or maybe lustful thoughts, desirous thoughts about something, you, you regret about yourself and sometimes you say, I'm a terrible person. See, can the, can the person who feels terrible be as terrible as they were when they did the deed? Can they? When you feel that you are a terrible person, can you be as terrible as when you did the deed? No, because now you feel that it is wrong, right? So how can you be so terrible? But when you did the deed, you didn't feel that way. But now you feel that way. See, misplaced. It's coming at the wrong time. Too little, too late. You should have felt terrible when you were actually going to do the deed, but you didn't feel it then. But now you feel terrible after you've done the deed, and now you have remorse. You repent. So you shouldn't be feeling terrible at all, really. This is the, this is the funny business of jati. Jati does this to you, to keep you trapped again. It was I who did that deed, so therefore I must regret. No, there was no you when the deed was done, and there is no you now either. This is just manifestations, cause and effect. So that is the jati part. So you have explained the anicca part, this is the jati part. Anatta. With this understanding, you realize that there, is, there are no individual units in this world, there are no entities in this world, right? So you come out of your entity mindset, you come out of your individualized mindset, and you see the whole world as a series of cause and effects. 
right from within and out there. All of this cause and effect, manifestations. Then, eleven great fires have no room any further. I should have done that. Why did I do that? Why did I do like that? I shouldn't have done that. All of this is contained within that. And when you have physical pains and aches, right? when you, you, you feel that it is you who are suffering, who is suffering. Again, you, know, you internalize, you individualize, you, per, you personify physical pain and so on. Because you don't take the anicca mindset. Step out of that. Come out of the maze. Look at it simply as causes and effects that haven't lined up. Even if you feel the physical pain that, that you, of course, the mind experiences, even that, look at it as cause and effect. Meaning, like last week we discussed about how sight, sound, smell, taste, these are sensations, yeah? and so is physical pain. Right? This, this is not how it feels on the palm. My hand doesn't feel this right now. Although I pinch my hand, my hand doesn't feel this right now. So what feels it? The mind feels this. Remember we talked about this is why when there's a mosquito on your back, this arm gets into action, right? because it's the mind that feels this. So if it is the mind that feels this, then come to your senses. This is just an interpretation of a situation. That's it. This is a stimulus. And this is just the interpretation of that. But when people fail to see this, now, recently I was reading that in the Tripitaka, there was a, one, there's a fantastic sutta uh, in which an old man who is weak, actually they're not an old man, they're infirm, very um, ill, right? and... and, and and uh, they're not feeling very well. So they go to the, the Buddha and ask, Venerable Sir, I feel, I feel very weak, I feel very ill, I feel infirmed, and I'm infirmed. How come these other monks that you have at the monastery, how come, how come they're not like that? What he's really saying is, not that you know, the monks in the sasana, they, it's not that they don't get ill. Of course, we all fall ill. You know, these are all bodies. But when you look at them, they don't, they don't exude that from their, in their faces, in their emotions, in their, in their mindset. You know, you can't, you can't tell that. Perhaps, you know, someone's got a broken leg, but they have a smile on their face. Maybe they have a bad back, but, you know, they're smiling. And he asked the Buddha, Venerable Sir, how is this so? I'll try and find the, the name of the sutta for next week. I can't remember it now. How is this so? And the Buddha gives instruction. He says, this is because... They don't, personify, they, don't, they don't personify the physical pain that they endure. In the Buddha's own words, he says this. They don't personify the, the pain that they endure. They just see it as pain. They don't take it personally. And so the, this, this, this person, um, the Buddha briefly answers this question, and then he goes, he, he takes his leave, and then on, on the way he meets the great elder Sariputta. So the Sariputta there asks, where have you been? You look... You know, you look very cheerful, although you are weak and, and ill. How so? And then he says, well, I met the Buddha, sir. And uh, the Buddha explained to me that when you don't personify physical pain, then you don't have to suffer. And that is how yourself and other monks are, uh, are so joyful and so cheerful. And then the great elder Sariputta asks this man, did you ask the Buddha to explain this to you? Or did you just take it at, you know, at face value? Did you not ask him to detail it to you? And he says, no, I, it slipped my mind, I couldn't do it. And then the great elder Sariputta gives a complete exposition of how this happens. 
He talks about Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. And he says, when the Rupa is is personified, when you identify yourself with the Rupa, so this can be Rupa Rupa, Sadha Rupa, Gandha Rupa, Rasa Rupa and Sparsha Rupa. When you identify yourself with this, see, this is Sparsha Rupa. This, this creates, this, this event creates an image in the mind, an impression in the mind. When you identify and identify with that image, now you feel that this pain is happening to me. Then I become part of the pain, the pain becomes part of me, it becomes part of my brand, it becomes part of my identity. And when you feel, begin to feel that way, you become consumed by it. Then your mind now becomes to, begins to suffer because of something the body endures. That is why people are generally, you know, they, they feel so down, they feel so moody sometimes, you know, when they have physical pains. So if you can come out of that by contemplation of anicca, you know, there are a lot of answers there to all these problems. I can't remember the sutta of the top of my head. I'll share it with you next week. Wonderful sutta. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankar, Vinyana. He talks about all five of them and how one must not take it as, as me, as, as self, and, and take it as a single unit, but rather should see it as in, through the lens of anicca and so on. So this is, you know, this is what we're talking about in, in our discourses. It's wonderful when what we talk about in those discourses, we go back and see in the, look in the Tripitaka, it says exactly the same thing. It's, that is very promising. So we don't do it the other way around. Normally, Guru Hanur gives us a sermon, we try and understand that, we try and make sense of that. And then once in a while we bump into a sutta in the Tripitaka and the, the Buddha or the great elders have said exactly the same thing. So that is very reassuring that the path that we are going is the right one. So the long and short of this today's talk, what I want you to do is whenever you come across these problems, whatever those problems might be, big or small, physical, mental, right? Come out of this trapped mindset. Otherwise it's a vicious circle. When you feel you're trapped, you just keep digging yourself into a grave. Don't trap yourself. For that, you just need to come to your senses. This is not a problem, but rather a solution waiting to happen. All I got to do is look at it through the lens of furniture and realize that the causes need to line up properly. This appears to me as a problem only because the causes don't, are not apparent to me now, just now. Come, come to my senses. If you can do it on your own, wonderful. If not, get others to help you. Have an accountability partner who keeps reminding you. You seem like you're a bit annoyed, aren't you? Just a signal. Just to, just to remind you to come to your senses. That is such a useful thing to have. What is the price you have to pay for not having that? All the karma that you will end up accumulating, the bad deeds that you will be doing and the vipaka that you will be accumulating by going down the wrong route and engaging in unmeritorious deeds. That's when you start shouting, getting angry, screaming at the top of your voice, banging things around. You know, why some people, when they get so annoyed, you know, they don't know who, stand, who they're standing next to. Sometimes they'll slap. And if it's the mother, then it happens to be the mother. What they don't realize is the the demerit that they're accruing as a result of that. Then they have to pay the price. Later on, they'll regret. Why do they regret? Because now you're not in the problem, so therefore you realize that that is not part of the solution. That's when you regret. You don't regret when you realize that you took the right answer because you saw the problem clearly. 
So let's try and do that. Practical application of anicca in life's problems. Experience it for yourself and you'll see why we can just keep on solving problems every day, 24-7. I mean, you know, I don't experience the burnout. But I remember when I was back in my lay life, I did about half of this. And I felt so burnt out at the end of the day. Like those problems were not life and let death problems. You know, they were not life problems. They were just, just money problems. Like, you know, how do we manage this system? How do we set up, stand up this system? How do we, you know, set up a new, new IT, IT facility and so on? You know, this is not life and death. But here we are talking about life and death, aren't we? Life or death in sansara. So these are critical. But it doesn't burn me out. Don't feel stressed, don't feel vexed, because we focus on through the lens of anicca. And you can all do that, because this is not a miracle. Even this itself is cause and effect. So, no miracles. Right, let's conclude today and transfer the merits and bring the sermon to a close. Let us remind ourselves then of how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who have since time immemorial protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhansi, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating their talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and by the power of these merits. If any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes every one of you, from those who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who pass on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employees and our employees, our teachers, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us. May by the power of these merits they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakha Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhuddha Sasana. 
Let us transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors, to our loved ones who have predeceased us, to our forefathers, and to all those who have been our families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of sansara, those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us in any way, shape, or form possible and available to them. Let us also transfer these merits to those members of the armed forces, as well as members of the police force, who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, as well as those who would have lost their lives in the war, be they friend or foe, may they all rejoice in these merits. Let us transmit to those who have lost their lives in natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires, pandemics, blizzards and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, friends and family to us. They will have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way possible and available to them. May by the power of these merits, they free themselves from the woeful plains if any of them have been misfortunate to be born there. Be born in the blissful plain, may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become a Rahatan Mahanse or an Arahatarin Mahanse in this life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha himself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. Members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga Ginnimidetnva Desha Ginnimidetnva Moha Ginnimidetnva Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Mamada Sialu Loka Sialu Satnayo Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vetma Raga Gini Niveva Desha Gini Niveva Moha Gini Niveva Nivan Sapa Labiva Nivan Sapa Labiva 
निवान सफल